This is Jean Bliss, author of Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast. I also have a link to it at marketingbookpodcast.com. I'll have more on Blinkist in a few minutes. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome Jean Bliss back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her new book, Just in Time for Mother's Day in Australia, Canada, and the United States, Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers, published by Portfolio Penguin. Jean Bliss is the founder and president of Customer Bliss and the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. She pioneered the role of the chief customer officer, CCO. She held the first ever CCO role at Land's Inn, Microsoft, Coldwell Banker, and Allstate Corporations. And so she reported into each company's CEO, and she moved the customer to the strategic agenda, redirecting priorities to create transformational changes to each brand's customer experience. And this is what amazes me. She has driven achievement of 95% loyalty rates improving customer experiences across 50,000 person organizations. She's also the author of the groundbreaking book, Chief Customer Officer. The book was the first of its kind to address the role of the customer leadership executive, and it quickly became a bestseller and has been translated into eight languages. Her second book, I Love You More Than My Dog, Five Decisions That Drive (laughs) Extreme Customer Loyalty in Good Times and Bad, was also a bestseller, translated into five languages. And her latest book is Chief Customer Officer 2.0, which is what we discussed in an earlier interview. Jean is a highly sought-after speaker, keynoting high-profile conferences and corporate events around the world. She's appeared in major media outlets such as Fast Company, Forbes, MSNBC, The Associated Press, and the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, I put that last part on. That's not really in her <laughs> <Love> bio. <that. laughs> and interesting fact, she is a diehard Chicago Cubs fan. Jean, congratulations on Would You Do That to Your Mother? And welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Doug, 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 thank you. So glad to be with you. And I should also add, since uh, everyone listening is a podcast listener, you're also the host of the Chief Customer Officer Human Duct Tape Show, where you speak to (laughs) customer experience leaders from uh, major organizations all over the world, and you're coming up on episode 100? Did I hear? I am. I am 100. Yes. It's it like like you. This this podcasting is a labor of love, and it's just a joy, a, a complete joy to talk to people who are passionate about their work. And you know, we we grow and succeed by standing on the shoulders of the people who came before us. And um, I, it's my job in that podcast, as yours is, to to help people do the standing on those shoulders. So thank you for bringing that up. Sure, and it and it is a it is a joy. So I should mention, uh, since we're going to be talking about moms quite a bit, as well we should. Today is my parents' wedding anniversary. Oh, so, how many years? Happy anniversary to them! They were married seventy years ago today. Um, oh my gosh! They're, they're they're no longer with us, but uh, it was nineteen forty eight, right after World War Two, and mom and dad got married and. Uh, I was their youngest child, just for all you people that are doing the math out there. So, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Okay. Well, so Jean Bliss, why did you write this book? Well, I this is my gift back to our community. I've been doing this work for 35 years, um, but I wanted to write this this book as a simplified way to to lead a culture and customer experience transformation that's accessible to every area of the organization. You know, customer experience, as many things happen, as it's become more popular, it's also become more complex. And what's interesting when you're in work for so long is you have the perspective of time that enables you to simplify. And so I've written the the heavy-duty book, chief customer officer. I coach leaders all around the world, but I wanted to create a very accessible guide and make it personal so that no matter who reads it, they can internalize it, find a place for them and go act. And and that's why the book is also broken up into 32 toolkits that are accessible, workable and achievable. Mm-hmm. And there's at the very end, there's even a, a make mom proudometer. And you can go through and test and see, kind of assess where your organization is. Yep. That chapter is called Stop the Shenanigans. Yes, yes. Spoken like a mom. And I know. So let me just read from one, uh, one excerpt here. This is a celebration book and a tell-it-like-it-is book because we need both. There are many, many companies that are overturning and redesigning frustrated mom moments to create make-mom-proud moments all around the world. In the 32 case studies and numerous anecdotes throughout this book, we celebrate actions that companies have taken to move from everyday behavior to acts that elevate a company and its people. But Gene Bliss, let's step back for just a moment here because in the back of my mind, there's always, call it a doubting Thomas or a, a, a devil's advocate. Let's suppose that we're talking to our CFO, our chief financial officer, who's probably a very smart person, uh, very analytical, probably has the personality of Star Trek's Spock. And <laughs> what, what facts would you share with him or her to help them understand why customer experience is so important? Well, and thank you for that. That's exactly why I wrote the book the way that I did, because it's broken into 
these 32 nuggets of, of information that have a payoff at the end. Um, for example, Virgin Hotels, quite interesting. They chose in a, a move, which I call leadership bravery, to not nickel and dime people. They don't charge you for Wi-Fi. They say Wi-Fi is a right, not a revenue stream. They don't charge you. Uh, they don't overcharge you for a bottle of water. They have something called street pricing. They don't charge you for room service. And they have become very swiftly the number one hotel on the Condé Nast Traveler's Choice Awards. They've also become highly profitable. And so I call it goodness-driven growth. These acts that are congruent with who we are as people and how we all want to act, actually achieve growth. It's it's very difficult to move in that direction sometimes. And it's not always about the spreadsheet. It's also about, for example, giving your front line the ability to understand the value of a customer so they can waive a rule that would make a valuable customer walk away. Um, so, you know, I know you want to talk about customers as assets as well, but I'm going to pause there. Sure. Well, there were three things that just I, I wrote CFO next to them when I read those. Okay, and there were tell and there were several. There. One of them was there was a Siegel and Gale study that said brands that don't oh. provide simple experiences are leaving an estimated share of uh, they're leaving eighty six billion dollars on the table. That's right. And mm -hmm. there was another study from your old company Microsoft that said fifty six percent of people indicated that they have stopped doing a business with a brand because of a, uh, a poor service experience. And yep. there was mm -hmm. um, Shake Shack, I think uh, Danny Myers. Oh, right. Hospitality yep. quotient said that companies with employees and business practices that deliver values based on human experiences significantly beat the S&P 500. That's exactly right. Thank you for pulling those out. Yes. And those are CFO-driven kinds of messages, and yeah. but leadership messages as well, right? Oh, We've got to connect the dot for the boards, for leaders, uh, for the C-suite that, you know, it, what, you, what you're mentioning is actually a big part of this second chapter, which I call Don't Make Me Feed You Soap, where we... Um, we make it so complicated and hard that that's what's driving all of this this growth and revenue out the door in many ways. Mm -hmm. Now, you talked about helping uh, frontline people understand the value of the customer. Can we step back mm -hmm. just for a minute to the last book, Chief Customer Officer 2.0? And, and you touched on it in your book as well, but you went into really helpful depth on the last book um, and talk right. about how companies should uh, value their customers as assets, which for me was... Uh, that was a big light bulb moment and really helpful in explaining this to companies. Yeah, it's actually something, the first thing that we do um, when I'm coaching executive teams, and, and it's to honor the customer as the asset by doing what I call customer math. And customer math is the, the equation of new customers coming in volume and value, which is typically what gets run up the, the, the light pole, right? Mm -hmm. How many customers we brought in, we celebrate sales and acquisition, but we don't do the math and subtract for that same time period, monthly, quarterly, annually, before annual planning, the number of customers in that period, volume and value that we lost. And if we don't do that math, we're not looking at the result of the experience we delivered and the asset the, the reason we're in business is to honor the customers 
as an asset. And I would, I would assert employees are an asset too, but people, it's so surprising how many companies aren't doing that math or they're doing the math in a, in a very internally driven way, such as by product category. But that, that gives you a, a very, very isolated view. The CEO needs to know across all product categories, did we, or did we not grow the customer asset? Right. And the thing that helped me was when you, you reminded the, the reader that it's not just the churn. A lot of newer customers aren't spending as much as the older cus- the, the, the customers, the longstanding customers who were very likely spending more. So that there's, there's the value right. built into that, too, that people seem to overlook. Yeah, we lost That's customers, right. but we got an equal number back. Yeah, but <laughs> new customers don't tend to spend as much. That's why the vo- the value ha- equation has to come in. And then to your point, a couple other behavioral things. What percent of your customers downshifted from share of wallet A to sh- share of wallet B? And what percent of your customers aren't using, you know, if you're a SaaS company, your product suite? Well, there's value erosion in there that's identifying itself through customer behavior. The The most critical thing, though, about customers is assets is that it's not – one of those pieces of paper with four point type and 5,000 different things on it where your eyes blur over. It has to be part of the culture and the language of leaders and the sharing of leaders in board meetings and um, across the organization. So it essentially starts the storytelling of what we're doing in the company. As a result of the experience we all deliver, did we earn the right to growth? Mm -hmm. And you can start every meeting with that discussion, as That's I recall. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, right. so would you do that to your mother? I, I can't think of a better lens <laughs> through which to filter <laughs> every decision by every person, every action taken, every product or new product. And, and as I told you before we got talking here, I said I was on the phone dealing with a customer service thing, and I almost said, wait a minute, wait, this is the fourth time I'm having to explain my story would you do that to your mother? And I know that I'm going to be using that going forward. The problem is, though, Gene Bliss, is that I read a book like yours, and my expectations for service are uh, the bar is raised even higher, so I become that much crankier <laughs> of a customer. You should see me. You should oh, see me. Yeah. My, husband's, my husband's always like, okay, calm down. Be, back up. Take breathe. You, it's and and the thing is too. Here's the thing: you're you're upset with the front line. They didn't create that crappy that's rule. Right. Excuse that's my right. French. They didn't create whatever you were encountering, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's why the first chapter in my book is so critical, which is called "Be the Person I Raise You to Be." We can't lay on the shoulders of our employees the workarounds. You know, they end up working around the crazy processes and the crazy rules and their inability to have a little wiggle room and their lack of information um, about the customer. You know, you were just mentioning you had to keep telling your story. You know, one of the, there's a series of quips throughout the book. um, And and I'll walk through the structure in a second, which, which says, would you make your mother keep introducing herself to you? And that's what you, (laughs) that's what you did, right? We, we have put the burden on customers of, uh, connecting the dots and retelling our story over and over again because the corporation or the organization hasn't built that in to the front line and for and, and the rest of the operational data so that you're the only connector and mm-hmm. that burden is on you as the customer. Yeah, so what in that instance what are some of the things that a company can do 
to stop torturing their customers and their employees, having to keep passing people around like that. And that's under the SOAP chapter, and it's, it's, it's called Know Me. We should back up and say, what do you mean by, would, would you make, don't make me feed you soap? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, can I walk through the four chapters really quickly? Oh, yeah, I think please. It might be- okay. So, again, this is a book with a funny title, but a very um, honorable and operationally relevant approach to it. And it, it basically is organized into the four key buckets that we experience in our lives as customers. You know, what connects all of us is the thread of these experiences we have. So the first set of experiences we have is around employees at companies who we interact with and how that ends up defining our experience with the company, our brand experience, and how that creates a memory in many ways. And so that's the chapter called Be the Person I Raised You to Be. And the the short t- the short reason behind that is to enable employees to thrive and prosper, to bring the best version of themselves to work. In fact, that was Tony Shea's quote from my book, which Mm -hmm. is, this is a book about bringing the best version of yourself. The second chapter is called, don't make me feed you soap. Um, and, and that's goes back to our lives as kids. When we did dumb things, our mom would threaten us to, um, wash our mouth out with soap. People of a certain age may not know that, but, Mm -hmm. um, This is about getting rid of complexity, fear, worry, concern, those 86 billion reasons um, that we noted earlier (laughs) that actually that actually prevent customers from continuing to want to do business with you. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The next chapter is called put others before yourself. And this is the path that we are finally maturing down around customer experience and organizational redesign, which is the realization that's paradoxical that to achieve your goals, you have to enable your customers to achieve theirs first. So redesigning the hotel check-in experience, redesigning the ability to get a bill, redesigning knowing what's happening when your power goes out from the customer's life standpoint versus internally operational. Right. And, And that requires understanding what the customer's goals are, having some empathy. Exactly. And not just empathy, but listening in a, in, in an intuitive way. Um, if you, all you're doing is trending complaints and looking at complaint data, you're going to get a very kind of tactical and superficial, um, action plan out of it. For example, there's a hotel called the Dorchester, um, group, the luxury brand hotel, and they were hearing, uh, lots of complaints about customers who didn't like their breakfasts and things about breakfast. Well, a, a, a company that looked at that would say, well, let's try to change the breakfast menu. But what they learned more was these are people that are very particular. They have all kinds of different diets and just they, they're they kind of they're of an echelon of people who get what they want. So they actually got rid of the breakfast menu. And the waiter says to them, tell us what you'd love to have this morning and we will make it for you. Mm. Now, that's a completely different outcome than Mm -hmm. traditional listening. Um, so that's, and that's redesigning, rethinking what you've always done. And then the last chapter is called take the high road. And this is getting rid of those things that some CFOs like, right? Extra charges on things, but also things that have made it, uh, created an imbalanced relationship between customers and companies, fine print, gotcha moments. Mm. You go, you know, you go to, you go to redeem a coupon for a, a lunch deal and they say to you, you know, this, 
this is only on every other Tuesday when there's a full moon or, you know, so many ifs, ands and buts around the coupon that you're, you're like, really, really? Um, and so that is that final chapter, that chapter. And then the last chapter is called stop the shenanigans. And that's the quiz with the mommometer. So thank you for letting me go through that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dig in a little bit more. Um, there was another book on the uh, podcast. I interviewed Allison Stratton about the book she wrote with her husband, Scott, about branding. And uh, one of the big takeaways for me in that book, it's branding in the modern era. It's not about shouting. It has to do more with the way your company behaves now. And one of the best takeaways for me was that the most, they explained that the most important branding department at your company is not your marketing department. It's your human resources department. And I wanted to ask you to explain uh, why hiring is the most important customer experience decision a company can make. Yeah, thank you for that. And that, that's one of the, the eight case studies in the first chapter, Be the Person I Raised You to Be. The, the, the companies that are very deliberate understand the ethos of who they want to show up as. They, they know what their values are. And they find a deliberate way to understand the human behind the resume. So, for example, uh, a, a place called Pal's Sudden Service, which is a hot dog and hamburger fast stand. The, the actual um, restaurant looks like a big hot dog in a bun in the front of it. It's kind of insane. They haven't lost. They've lost six general managers in 33 years. They have a higher square foot, per, you know, revenue per square foot than many, many other restaurants. But they... Um, they are so deliberate that they run their their folks, many of who with who are you know part time through a sixty point psychometric survey, which isn't your normal question. It's things like I generally am happy with myself. I find that if I raise my voice, I can get what I want. Things that understand who they are as a human, and. This is so important. Again, this may or may not be your path, but. We need to know who is talking to our customers. We need to um, understand and deliver the values that we believe in inside our company. And so that is why hiring is like marriage. Hiring is the most important decision in a company. It defines, um, it, it really defines what they will be and how they'll show up in the marketplace. And as, if I'm not mistaken, just to add to uh, mm -hmm. the incredible numbers you have there, they employ a lot of teenagers. That's exactly right. These are, you know, this is a traditionally transient kind of a business. And they, and, and that's why this chapter, as you mentioned with HR, it's about enabling people to thrive. So they also mentor them. Their leadership team takes a, a, a certain point, portion of their time every week to mentor these people. You can't just hire someone and then say, go and not enable them to have the information and be trusted. Trusting the front line is a big part of this as well, giving them tools to enable them to be trusted. Um, and that's, for example, giving them information, probably not at the hot dog stand, but other places about the, the, the value of your customer. You know, who, who among us hasn't found that something that we own with a warranty crashes two days out of warranty? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we take it in and the poor person who has been locked into the role of policy cop has to tell us the bad news, which is they can't do anything for us when they really would like to. Mm -hmm. And if they had been given the information about the value of the customer 
um, and been trusted to make an assessment. In many cases, these people are customer rescue artists. They are not cost to the company, but that takes a flip. That's a, that's a very deliberate and different approach in how you will and will not grow your business. Mm-hmm. Is that in the part about the what crazy rules are? <laughs> and, and why is it so hard for, for companies to identify their own crazy rules? Well, you know, there's a lot of them that have existed that they, they kind of spin out um, from the, from in many ways from the organization as we're as companies get bigger and bigger and more complex, the middle of the organization who has to manage KPIs and processes start to create rules so they could have control over certain outcomes. But within those rules come randomness that shows up to the customer. And the work has got to be to really go back in a deliberate way on an ongoing basis. In fact, one of the things that we do with the, with the front line and employees is we, we do a re, a rule review. We call it a kill a stupid rule review. Oh, that's and right. Yeah. We, we ask them by stage of the journey, what's getting in your way? What, where are we driving customers nuts? And sometimes it's process steps, 20 things to, that you have to do when we could make it be two things or, you know, not giving them wiggle room on a warranty or, you know, whatever it is. Uh-huh. And when you go to <clears throat> frontline folks like that and ask them, what are, what are some of the stupid rules we can get rid of? My sense was you get a quick response. They have on the tip of their tongue stupid rules they have to deal with. Well, yeah, they're the ones doing the workarounds, you know, and, and, you know, typically, as you know, the, the evolution has gone from this notion of customer service, which is the complaint handling group or department to Mm -hmm. customer experience. And the point of customer experience is getting rid of those rules and the best and the practices so that they never land in the lap of the service people. But that hasn't happened yet. So when these rules land in the lap of the service people, they're running around trying to um, solve it for the customer. And that's why they come off the tip of their tongue because they're, they're, they're doing body slams on a regular basis to make it better and right for customers who are upset. And they themselves, you know, you, you talk to airline agents, they're frustrated on a regular basis, see $200 or $30 for this or what. And you say, can you believe they're like, and, and they're just as exhausted by these rules as the customer is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the uh, fellow whose name I believe is Carol, who wrote that song about having his uh, guitar destroyed by United Airlines, I believe he's a oh, right. a speaker now in customer service. He wrote that, he couldn't get any response, so he, wrote a, he, he created a video about United Breaks Guitars, and it, I think their stock price dropped 10%. And uh, anyway... Um, he said after that happened, he heard from so many United Airlines employees saying, you know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> we don't like we don't like working for a company that's like that and we don't feel empowered and anyway, I mean we could spend a lot of time talking about United. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying. I mean, you know, it's it's hard. It's like turning a huge ship around, yes. right? Yes. And 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 like you said customer service versus customer experience. They both have the word customer, but they are two very much uh, different sides of the moon. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist can help your career. Listening to the Marketing Book Podcast says more about you than you may realize. In addition to being physically attractive, seriously, I've met many of you and you are a very attractive audience. It also means that you're curious and serious about your business success and you enjoy 
learning new things. And your interest in learning also means you're either successful or will be because all the research indicates that big learners are big earners. Plus, with all the changes happening in marketing and sales, continuous learning is crucial. But there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 2,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are really top-notch, including several books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley, Hug Your Haters by Jay Bear, and many, many more. It took me hours to read those books, but you can get smart audio summaries of each one in just 15 minutes. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 1 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. I recommend getting the yearly plan, that's what I did, and getting 20% off because you're going to want to keep it anyway. But don't worry because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a great, inexpensive, and very smart investment in your professional development and career. And now, back to the show. What does it mean when you talk about making your employees memory creators? Aha. Well, there's, there's two different ways to, uh, um, to train, develop, and enable your employees to be effective. One way, which many companies are walking away from, are their process manuals and guides and steps they have to go through which again, I'm not saying there aren't, shouldn't be some process guides, but the, the, the more elevated way is to say, look, every interaction you have, every process you're building, your job is to know and determine and be deliberate about the memory you want to leave the customer with. So I give an example in the book, which is, look, even if you're, let's say you're calling, uh, to an insurance company, this is actually from my experience. And, um, your claim, unfortunately, has to be turned down. There's two different options that the person talking to you has a choice of which memory they want to deliver. They can deliver a memory where they tell you what you did wrong, why you did it wrong, and just say, so, you know, goodbye, you know, your claim, the claim denied, right? I'm sure there would be some softness to that. But the other one is to 
start with the life and be empathetic and walk them through what happened and, and, and coach a little bit about, you know, what they could do to make it better in the future and leave them with their dignity intact and still feeling like this is a company filled with good people, which unfortunately, um, you know, this was just a, a, an unfortunate situation. Not that in the first it wasn't about good people, but that the process didn't make you feel good. The memory was transactional versus relational. Mm -hmm. And that's where you talked about a very interesting notion from uh, Daniel Kahneman, where he said people don't choose between experiences. They choose between memories of experiences. It is very true. You know, memory creation more and more is becoming the currency of your brand. Um, people, because we know and Kahneman is, you know, such a, a thought leader for us in understanding memories and its impact on customer experiences. When the transactional stuff falls away, what you'll remember about buying your house is when you stepped foot into the house. And if your realtor or mortgage company did something also to uh, mark that moment in your life, you will remember that as well. And even if the paperwork wasn't great, if they did something and made it a special moment, you'll, you'll remember that memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it brings to mind for me the Maya Angelou quote where she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said, People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. You made them feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So powerful. It's so applicable to to uh, what we're doing. A couple of uh, real specific questions I wanted to ask you. Explain what you mean when you, should, you say that companies should remove survey score begging. <laughs> you, you like this first chapter. Uh, so we have, again, put our people and our organizations in the situation where, you know, I start this chapter to say, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, surveys were started for the, you know, the well-intentioned thought to improve customers' lives. And then we attached prematurely, in many cases, um, goals and bonuses to the, to the score. And then the begging began. When you are pushing someone, no matter who they are, an executive, someone in the middle, a frontline, to get a score, we lose the disconnect to why we're there, which is to improve the life. And so the, the most enlightened companies are guiding, leading, and rewarding the behaviors that will ultimately earn the score, but they're not, the score isn't the end game. The improvement of the life is, mm -hmm. the memory creation is, um, the ability of an employee to deliver value, uh, an experience that plays a part in the story of someone's life. And so we need to, and again, I'm not against surveys, but I'm, I'm not a fan of what they've done to employees and how they create that weird thing we've all gone through where people beg you for the score oh, because it's so the difference painful. between it's the difference between you know sometimes having the money to put uh, you know braces on your kids teeth or a new roof on your house and that's just craziness mm -hmm. and i think it's unfair to the the poor employees that are doing that it's it's right they're really under pressure monkeys on customer backs uh, is another one where i just i read through the book and i thought yes i know that i've i've, I've experienced that what what That's is what right. are what are monkeys on customer backs and why do companies put them on there so much well and you know what's interesting is i was doing these 32 case studies and thank you for what you're doing is um 
as you read the 32 case studies and go through the book, it's the story of our lives as customers. What I tried to do was pull out the most common things we all experience and putting the monkey on the customer's back is any scenario where you go to a company for help and before they give you help, they give you three other pieces of homework. And so, you know, the story in the book was a guy whose watch strap broke. Wasn't that your husband? No, no, that none of this is my personal. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't my, that wasn't oh, my husband. Oh, you just used that the name. A, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, this was actually, we, we did research. We talked to a lot of uh, customers and got their stories. So that's okay. where these things came from. Uh, so this guy, his watch strap broke. He went back to the retailer. The retailer said, no, we can't do this. This is a, a quality issue. You have to go to the corporate site and fill out a form and scan it. And then we'll figure out how we can help you. So now that's the mo first monkey, right? He goes there, he scans it, he sends it in and he doesn't hear anything, right? This is typical, right? Remember, you know, like that whole thing of you lose your luggage, you have to go into that weird room and point to a laminated sheet and then they say they'll call you and then you spend your the first day of your vacation calling them. That's the monkey. Uh-huh. Anyway, so this this guy so so long story short, this guy didn't get a response back. So he had to call them. That was another monkey. They said they lost the paperwork or they couldn't find it. He had to do it again. But the point is we have to advocate for ourselves and the overactive customer who will do the faxing and do the, all of the work, you know, gets the worm. We're the ones who get the outcome, but we're exhausted from the effort. And this service exhaustion is a big part of what goes into that $86 billion we talked about. Mm -hmm. We, we create so many cycles for customers before they get an outcome and um, it, it, it really erodes value and it makes you really consider pretty strongly walking away. Yeah, it's like touching a boiling pot on a stove and vowing, I'm not going to touch that one again. Well, and when you, when you also, in B2B businesses, for example, when you have all these monkey experiences where for the customer to achieve something, the work is layered on them. And they've got a contract or, or a commitment for a year or two years. It's captive loyalty. And you've got all, you've got customers who have signed a contract to do what you require them to do. But all the while, they're vowing to find another alternative when their contract is over. Right. They're making right? vows to themselves. I swear I'm never going to do business with these people again. Well, and, and that's why, you know, back to the CFO, get rid of those things. It will save you money. It will grow your business. But yet we don't start with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two other things, uh, since we're talking about CFO things. Um, <laughs> can you explain <laughs> what a, well, money related, you know? Yeah. Well, and this is a growth book. At the end of the day, this is a growth and a leadership book. Yep. Well, and every one of those organizations that you profile, uh, it's, it's like uh, you're saying, look, don't take my word for it. <laughs> this is a company that's doing it, and here are the numbers so far based on that change they've made. But can you, that's explain, right. can you explain what a gotcha moment and a gullibility tax is? Oh, okay. So, so a gotcha moment is where there, you know, I, I talked about it earlier, where there's, there's an offer or there's fine print, right? You didn't know that after 45 days of something occurring, you would get, you know, look, at, for example, all the fine print in our credit card statements and, and transactions. We didn't know. And suddenly we're getting this fee, extra fee accrued, right? That's a gotcha moment. Mm -hmm. And and these kinds of things occur in fine print, um, in guides, in, pr in processes or 
um, the the conditions of a sale, for example, in B2B, there's gotcha moments sometimes in contracts where things accrue and you don't know that and that certain things will stop happening and you're not sure about that. Mm-hmm. A gullibility tax moment is something that occurs for all of us in, especially in times of our lives where we're vulnerable, we need healthcare or we're buying a car or our vacuum cleaner needs to be fixed or whatever. And you know, who among us hasn't gone in to get our, some rattle done on our car and we walk out with a $2,000 bill. Well, was it really $2,000 or could they have fixed it for 50, you know, and, and that's charging the customers what you can because it, you, they're in the situation versus all they need um, and and not really creating that, I call it a gullibility tax, if that makes sense. Yeah. We go for it all. We go for it because we're worried what will happen if we don't say yes to it all. Yeah, it's like you talk about companies should charge what is fair, not what is possible. Not what they can. Yeah, That's exactly. A big, big That's difference exactly there. right. And customers will love you for that. Yeah, that's the whole absolutely. virgin. That's the whole virgin hotel story, right? It's mm-hmm. they're so genius in that. Yeah, they just said, "Look, the stuff in the mini bar. It's, it's what it costs us out on the street." <laughs> yeah, and 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 then there's other really interesting uh, behavioral actions um, in this take the high road chapter, such as you know REI who continues to close on Black Friday, mm-hmm. which is in the United States the day after Thanksgiving, when it's usually a big shopping oh, thank day. Thank you. Thank you for that. I apologize. That was my fault. Um, and you know, so that, that chapter, especially that take the high road chapter is really about, I don't think companies always, or do for the most part, do these things deliberately, but they're legacy practices that have been built in. Yes. Like inertia. Yes. And in a world, and, and it's about control, span of control and getting things done and making sure it goes their way. Um, but in a world of social media where customers have more power and in this world where we aren't going to take it anymore, right? What was that movie? Network. Net, net, network. Is that something people know around the world? You may need to explain. <laughs> it was a 1970s movie about a television network and this television anchor was kind of getting fed up with all the news and you know uh he finally came on stage and just said i'm not gonna take it anymore (laughs) he yelled it out his window or whatever but it's really relevant to today it really is and and uh, you know i i that's why i wrote the book this way we are at a tipping point um where as human beings we require being treated in a certain way and especially this younger generation of people are making buying decisions based on the values of the company that not what they say, but how they act. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why this book uh, now has become, was so important for me. And I had such a burning desire to write a book that cut through it, but then also connected very operationally to how can you operationalize trust? How can you operationalize honor? How do you operationalize care? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and because people need that simple toolkit. And, th- and that was really um, why I wanted to write it that way that now. Jean, do you think that companies still do some of these things that drive us nuts because they don't understand that we're in an era of the customer where the customer is in control? You know, I, I, I just, I just think in, in many ways, um, what happens is, and you know, this is what I do for a living is the list of the 500 projects gets listed and we lose the forest for the trees. Um, 
and and the other thing that occurs is that every part of the every silo, every vertical part of the organization chips away at the problem differently. And we don't take the one thing and say, okay, customers are walking away because we're making them go through 15 cycles on, you know, returning a watch or whatever it might be. And we make this solution so complicated that we never implement the solution. Mm. And, and that's the other reason why, or to your point, there is definitely inertia, but I'm trying to give everybody mom's benefit of the doubt here. (laughs) When people, when people do try a lot of times the, um, the solution come takes so long and becomes so complex that what was, you know, we're building three hump camels. Yeah, it's so easy to make things complicated. Um, well, so, Gene, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? That, that you can do this work, break it into bite-sized pieces, use these four chapters as a guide, and um, if you feel comfortable, start using this question to drive um, a change in attitude operation and focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading now that you've got one more book out the door? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, um, kind of interested, very interested actually in that Tom Peters book, the excellent dividend. I don't know if you've heard oh, about his yeah, book. It just He's came kind up of, on another interview. Yeah. Yeah, he compiled, you know, it's kind of like everything I know and organize for you to all inhale, right? And uh, he he read his book on Audible, as did I, which I loved the um, going into a studio for three days reading your own book. So I I, I listened to a little bit of of his voice. I think that's fun. Um, there's, there's some other cool books out there. There's one called never lose a customer again. I mean, I'm just focusing on my, my genre right now. Oh um, yeah, that but, was uh, Joey Coleman. We just had him on the podcast. Did you? Yeah. Yes. His uh, book is doing quite well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's on the wall street journal bestseller list already. Yeah. Good for him. Yep. Exactly. It's good. So how best can listeners learn more about you and your latest book? Well, I am. Uh, my website is customerbliss.com. We have also created a special website for this book called makemomproud.com. It's make-mom-proud.com. And uh, the joy of that is it's that's our celebration site where um, we know this work happens step by step. You can go on there and upload a picture of your mom and uh, how she's inspired you in your life and what you do um, in business that would make her proud. So uh, the book information is there as well, but we're trying to have some fun with this. Yeah, and we'll make sure to include links to all these things on your episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. We'll also include a link to your Twitter handle, which is uh, your Gene Bliss. At Gene Bliss. Yeah, J-E-A-N-N-E-B-L-I-S-S. And uh, also, if you're going to tweet at uh, Gene to thank her for being on the podcast, make sure to include the hashtag Make mom proud. And if you want to add me to the conversation, I'm Marketing Book on Twitter. And Gene will also include a link to your LinkedIn profile. And for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to this show on your podcast player like iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play Music, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. So the name of the book is Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. 
The author is Gene Bliss. Gene, thank you very much for coming back to the Marketing Book Podcast. You're so welcome. Thanks, everybody. And that closes the book on episode 174 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to that special offer at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Mike Moore to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book he has co-authored with Peter Thomas, Marketing Multiply, a real-world guide to channel marketing for beginners, practitioners, and executives. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.